Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. For joining us for another episode of Nightlight Part 2. We have another terrific show lined up for tonight with a return guest and her new book on vampires. On the 30th, we'll have a new guest to Nightlight talking about werewolves and other cryptids. So we're kind of going through uh, some kind of horror phase before Thanksgiving, I don't, I don't know if there's like some kind of con, you know, subliminal connection between eating people and Thanksgiving, but uh, that's how it just worked out. Um, but tonight uh, we have Dina Ray for her third appearance with us. Uh, we discussed her crowns and cabals a couple years ago, and she is out with another fascinating horror biblical scholarship love story history political thriller combo it's a little bit of everything uh dina's new book is entitled peacocks pedestals and prayers it's available on amazon and you can learn more about dina by going to her website conspiracycrackpot.com Hi, Dina. How are you doing? Uh, great. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Oh, you're welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. And uh, I'm really impressed with uh, Peacock's pedestals and prayers. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, and, and Crowns was an excellent book, too. So I, 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 I think we'll be able to do a little bit of um overlapping of both books but um well, it, it's really a captivating topic so thank you um oh well th- thanks for writing it um okay so let, let's look at some of the general ideas behind your book you know, that starts off with uh corporate 
advertising. So is there something evil about advertising into <laughs> like some subliminal messages and it's kind of you know, set the stage for uh, oh. you know many of the oh, main absolutely. settings of the book oh absolutely uh, uh advertising is uh kind of a a massive way uh, a massive act of persuasion and obviously the goal is to get someone to buy your stuff and whether whether they want it or not whether they need it or not whether the product works or not none of that seems to matter and our advertising uh our forms of advertising keep morphing into more and more different ways to uh try to inundate somebody with something um I think the newest way uh, is, I guess it's always been around, but it's even more in our faces now, is this whole uh, social media influencer gig. Uh, how, do, how do you get a gig like that? Um, you just post a picture of yourself if you're famous wearing something, and, um, oh, I just love my, my Gucci watch or whatever you're wearing, and then, bam, you uh, make millions of dollars and, um, you know, the item is a, a top-selling item. And, um, of course, there's still good old-fashioned commercials, good old-fashioned uh, print ads. What inspired me uh, the most with this book is um, a years ago I had a, a journalism class and we were going over subliminal mess- messaging and at that time, Absolute Vodka was real popular, and they had a famous mm-hmm. ad with the the bottle of Absolute and then the bottle of ice next to it, and the the word sex was written in the ice cubes. I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't. That was kind okay. of um that that's just you know one of the many um words that are written in um ads that look like uh photographs and um then we of course we get into backmasking which is when uh they're oh, playing the a song back yep mm-hmm. exactly and um you know probably the most the most famous of all that I don't even know if it's true but Charles Manson would play the White Album backwards, especially that song, Helter Skelter, and that inspired him to start a race war and go on a murder spree back in the uh, 60s, 70s era around. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, that always was interesting. And then, the, uh, ironically, the the song Stairway to Heaven, which seems like a very spiritual song um is supposedly if you play it backwards um an ode to satan okay so, well, uh, um, i lost all my albums in one of the floods and i can't do it with cds so on is it is that it, it um can can that still it, be done uh with cds i i don't know I, why not? You, you can go backwards on a CD, right? Why couldn't you somehow 
as you're going backwards, have audio to that. I mean, I don't think so, it's a button that you could press, but we can all press a button to go backwards. <laughs> and, yeah, are, are there still uh, you know, subliminal messages in the movies with the um, you know, they, you know, flash uh, popcorn or something? And stuff. oh yeah, with the you go out the, and, yeah, it's a, it's a histoscope, uh, flashes of images, and and then of course there's product placement again, where where um, movies have become ads, like uh, mm-hmm. famously E.T. with the uh, Reese's Pieces in uh, the movie. I don't. That was a good deal for Reese's to um, pay that fee. So um, it, it, you, you start to wonder: is anything? just picked because that's what the writer wanted or that's what the director wanted or is there something nefarious about every single TV show, every single movie we see, uh, every book that we read? Not Definitely not mine, but uh, uh, are, are people using products for money instead of just that being part of the artistic process? Okay, so the evil CEO of what you call the evil empire is um, Andal. Let's talk a little bit about him. He's uh, a pretty bad guy. He is a one of the watchers that um, either, depending on what scripture or sacred writing that you read, he's uh, one of the fallen angels or he's one of the watchers. He's a minor, a minor angel um, that was banned from heaven. Uh, but none, that, which is why I, I picked him because I didn't want to do something about Azazel, which so many other people have done. I wanted, you know, just kind of like a fresh type of character. And uh, he he is, um, cons- his, he is supposed to be cursed. And he is, um, um, what, he's uh, with enchantments. He's um, resolves enchant- enchantments, which means... If you're into witchcraft, and I'm not, so um, all of this was uh, looked up prehand. It, to resolve an enchantment, is a, believe it or not, I'm thinking enchantment might be a spell. To resolve would be like to figure it out, right? Or, or to you know, like to resolve something. Nope, not at all. If you look it up. It's uh, a, ter- a term that's quite popular with witchcraft, and it means to control people, which is what he does in his advertising mm-hmm. agency. And uh, he, more specifically, in witchcraft, it is to control soldiers to do your bidding, which is what he is um, on earth to do. And... You know, speaking of 
these subliminal messages and you know one uh Eve, one of the characters does see the uh one of the gadgets that he does uh use but he also can uh read people's thoughts um that's a pretty unnerving behavior Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just it's just like a continuation of the subliminal messages. Absolutely, and um, they're saying now with um, you know nanotechnology that that might be possible in the future, which you know opens up a whole another uh, whole another show, a whole another or uh, rabbit hole of. How do you get people to ingest these nano technologies? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that maybe in the second hour. But um, you know, um, some of the other characters you in- introduce, um, you know, like Eve Easterhouse. Okay. You, um, That's, uh, no, go ahead. Uh, again, uh, Eve Easterhouse is the heroine of the story, and again, her name was deliberately chosen uh, mm-hmm. from Eve in the Bible. Who? It's symbolic. Was, yeah. uh, a, 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 and Easterhouse, Easter, uh, um, in renewal case, right? Exactly. So, I chose the names it, to re- give it a religious flavor. Okay, and Julia and Belle are Julia is her sister, and Belle is Julia's daughter. Yes, and one of the when we first. In, are introduced to Eve. She is just getting paroled, right. which we will bring that up um, we'll, in a little bit. And and you know, we do learn of her her mom and brother. There's uh, Claire's one of the co-workers. Okay, and then you get this. Uh, Marcus character that schleps around <laughs> saying yes master and it's kind of like uh, Guillermo and Nadia he, he's like this uh, kind of like accidental vampire that's really uh, what is it He's incompetent. He he was uh, somewhat patterned. He better not be based on me either. <laughs> no, not one bit. No, no, no. Okay, good. He, um, he, he was somewhat patterned after uh, Renfield in Dracula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, so he's just a real groupie, so to speak, and a wannabe. 
which I think a lot of people are. <laughs> but, but when we he 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 is an interesting uh character and you know there's uh you know, I, I don't you know people could make you know little uh connection to uh what we do in the shadows but it, he he is a, you know, a little bit of a uh comedic character in, in the book yeah. And you know, also have the father Sardinelli. Yeah, the and, the priest. You get you can't have vampires mm-hmm. without a priest, right? <laughs> right. And and wait, let me, where is okay there? Um, just found it. And I I think you had a really interesting uh description of of Father Sardinelli. Uh let me take a second to read this. Father Sardinelli remembered the beginning of his career as a priest in a small town outside of Florence. Since boyhood the Catholic Church left him psychological scars that would never heal. Despite his resentment, he submitted to the wishes of his mother and became a Catholic priest. After years of second-guessing his faith, he traded his Catholicism for the Yelizism. The religion allowed him to witness and interact with celestial beings. As much as he enjoyed seeing the paranormal a knowing voice inside his head questioned the morality of it all. The same voice tried to use logic to prove how his new religion could never have existed without God, yet the priest chose to ignore all these signs. Seeing the charms and magic of the angels gave him the spirituality that he had always craved. I thought that was a really good look at who he was and his motivations. Yeah, I I I don't want to be too hard on um him for leaving the Catholic Church, but I I think a lot with my my book and there's uh good and evil everywhere and including the church. You you're not just because you're in a church doesn't mean you're safe. There's uh evil all around us and uh if we experience that enough we we're um a lot weaker to be drawn into something that um is more exciting which is what he was which is what happened to him and um i think that quite honestly happens to a lot of people it's um uh the devil can be uh, a draw it's a, a draw now for for kids, you look at the Travis Scott uh, rapper mm-hmm. uh, incident with the, uh, the whole stage is set up like an ode to Satan, and um, he's been in trouble before with rallying up the crowd and getting people hurt. And now 
he was performing what a half an hour after people were de- were dead right in front of him. Um, some people are arguing that that was a sacrifice to Satan. Uh, he's wearing a, a shirt um, where you're going through a portal, like you're going from hell. Uh, you're either going from oh. hell or you're going to hell. One of the two. Uh, he had different satanic sayings set up all over the stage and the kids think he's cool uh you got that other uh rapper little i might be mispronouncing him his name i don't buy their records little nas n-a-s nas or nas um he um i'm not familiar with him he had um he had a real hit he had a hit song with um um, Billy Ray Cyrus, uh, Old Town Road, maybe a year or so ago, and it was um, not like a number one hit. All the kids were singing it at school, and um, he seemed to be, you know, kind of a clean-cut type of rapper. Well, that was, you know, a year or two ago, and then now he has a new song out. I can't remember the name, but... Uh, he's in hell with Satan, giving Satan a lap dance, um, flirting with Satan, stealing his horns. All, he, he's openly gay, and um, he has a deal with Nike selling um, the shoes in the video, these satanic shoes, which the kids all think are cool. So... Do I think the kids are bad for liking these these people who are openly satanic? No, I, I don't I don't think that, but they're a lot more exciting than um I guess our our heroes, which we're not seeing enough ta- of these days. Yeah, but it it takes us back to the advertising and marketing right. of a product. Right. Exactly. And that's what they're using. They're using Satan. It used to be sex cells. Well, now Satan cells. That's scary. That should be alarming for everyone. And it's very, it echoes the revelation. It it echoes the great tribulation, excuse me. Okay. Okay. We can go from... What you were just discussing to this yellis yellitism uh you Elysium, which is okay. it's actually a rip off from Yazidism or the Yazidi religion okay so can can you explain those for us? Sure. Um, again, I took a lot of artistic liberty, so I don't want to um, r- totally throw the Yazidis under the bus. But this is based on my research. I was literally in shock uh, that this is a legitimate religion that is in the Middle East, uh, specifically in the Kurdish mountains. And when we were in the Middle East, before Joe Biden withdrew, uh, we were uh, allies with these people, which 
whoa, you know, wow, we're we're siding with these people? Was they're better than Al-Qaeda? Oh, my gosh. Uh, they're better than the Taliban? Oh, my gosh. But uh, they're an, a, a, an angel religion, and they worship angels, and their favorite angel is, is Malak Tawas. And I might be mispronouncing that. That's um, in the book. I keep the name pretty similar. M-A-L-A-K-T-E-U-S, Malak Tawas. It has different spelling variations, and that's their favorite angel. He, the peacock is his symbol, hence the title. And, of course, he is Satan. Now, a lot of people will defend the Yazidis and say, oh, well, they worship Satan, but he's not the same Satan that the Satan in the Bible. Yes, he is. Okay, there's not like 20 Satans walking around here, okay? Yes, he is the same Satan. They have the same stories. There's there's all kinds of cross-references. And um, their services, uh, their church services, supposedly have birds, especially, of course, peacocks. They um, have links with um, Zoroastrianism, one of the secret societies. They um, believe that Malak Taoist is not only Satan, but is God's alter ego. So God, our God, has two sides to him. So God is God and God is also Satan, according to their religion. Uh, they believe that um, this peacock came from a pearl, which turned into an egg, um, and by the way, Malak Taoist is also called Shaitan, which sounds an awful lot like Satan. So uh, I found this, I found the research really fascinating with this. And um, I, of course, took, I've never been to a Yazidi service. I don't, don't know what they do. Oh, that's why I changed the name to Yelizi. But um you know, I'm just using my imagination that if they worship Satan, this is the kind of service that they would have. Okay. Uh, with the uh, birds that are, uh, there's an aviary in the uh, church. Um, is this bird you know, flying animal imagery is there some kind of connection with that uh statue uh, the winged creature statue uh found at the uh, that middle eastern um archaeological site at the beginning of uh the exorcist Oh no no no! Uh, okay, I, I, there's no, no there's, I, okay. The, no, that um, that's uh, just coincidence. But um, oh okay. No, but uh, it, it's mentioned several times in the the Bible that birds are uh, symbolically connected with demons, and um, I mean the dove is of course God's bird, but uh, other birds also symbolize uh angels and a lot of birds eat flesh 
They peck at dead animals. They peck at uh, dead people. So there's that uh, tie-in. Okay. And you you do use the owl in uh, crowns and cabals in the... uh, like the nomination of the um, like the New World Order right. leader. The, uh, yes, the the owl is uh, uh, definitely connected with the, the devil in uh, many different types of literature. It was also the statue at the Bohemian Club, uh, the Bohemian Grove uh, ritual. Uh, famously in California uh, many years ago. So um, the owl is connected with witchcraft. It's connected to the devil, and it seems to be the mascot of the Illuminati when they go to the Bohemian Grove and have their meetings. Okay, good. Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, this... uh, avian zoo type imagery in your books. I try. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, I just happened to notice that. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so when when we start looking at uh yeah, you know, people are gonna realize early on in your book that um yeah there is you know you know Marcus and Andal are these vampiric type uh creatures uh you have you know kind of argued the point that maybe early on in the Bible we are presented with some of the uh, first documented cases of vampires. Yes. Yes. Okay. Ab- absolutely. That's a there's a a tie-in with fallen angels. And vampirism, and that starts uh, at the very beginning with Cain. And um, I'm I'm sure your listeners know the story, but in case they don't, um, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, and uh, uh, God asked them for offerings, and Adam gave God some kind of animal, and Cain gave God uh, some kind of harvest. And God made it very clear that he liked Adam's offering and not Cain's. And so the story goes, we don't, we're never told, but we can infer that Cain became very jealous. And that's why he killed Adam. And um, we've got, uh, in some translations, he kills Adam with a rock and hits him to death. And in other translations, he kills Adam with a knife, which I find very interesting because I didn't know that they had knives back 
at the dawn of civilization, but that but that's in there. Um, it's also in uh, the uh, uh, in it's either the Quran or a sacred Quran text that they both ha- uh, were interested in a woman named Aklama A C L I M A, and she was beautiful and rich, and God supposedly thought Adam would be a better fit. So there was some boiling over jealousy for something that didn't even have anything to do with offerings going on as well. Um, Obviously, we'll never know. So he kills his brother. He gets the mark. He gets, well, he gets kicked out of, um, he gets kicked out of uh, Eden. And we don't know exactly where he goes because he wanders for a while and he eventually ends up in the land of Nod. But while he's mm-hmm. wandering, he meets up with Lilith, who is Adam's first wife. So where does, where does Lilith come in the Bible? Lilith is never mentioned in the Bible. However, she is mentioned in ancient Jewish texts like the uh, Apocrypha and, forgive me, the, the Pseudopigrapha, I might be butchering that. And um, anyway, they have an affair, and to show, prove, each other, prove love to, to each other, they, they split huge cuts in um, their abdomen, and they um, have the blood drip out in their hands, like in a cup, and they drink each other's blood which kicks off this whole idea that, um, you know, vampires drink human blood. Um, uh, This is a a tale that Bram Stoker uh, also used when he created his most, the most famous vampire uh, ever. And he's kind of the granddaddy of what a vampire even is. Um. And somewhere before Cain finally settles down, he gets sick of Lilith and he continues to wander. And somewhere between his wandering and his his death, he get he receives the mark of Cain. And um, nobody's real sure what that means, but he's cursed. And he had three angels at separate times come. To beg him to repent, you don't want to. You don't want to be on the bad side of God. And each time he refused, and um, they took away uh, thing, that he became immortal. Although he dies, but he became immortal for a, a long, long time. He became. He had an aversion to sunlight. Um, he had um, a couple things. They. I can't remember uh, all of them, but they. They. Um, took away some of his human uh, rights, so to speak, and that created the uh, vampire. Now, not to um, go off two topic, but Cain is considered by some the first, first vampire, but he's also considered the first Nephilim. Uh, now, how does that go? Well, Again, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, and we've got Eve who allegedly um, encounters the snake, and 
some people, again, through sacred writings and different translations and all of that, what those what what ancient history professors do, uh, believe that Eve had an affair. The snake is Satan, of course, and she had an affair with Satan, who is a fallen angel. So when she had Cain, he would technically be a Nephilim because of this theoretical union. Um, so we, so Cain's got quite a bit not going for him as far as in the eyes of God. He's maybe a Nephilim. He's definitely a vampire. And um, he, he still is able to father children. And uh, one of his children is uh, famously called Enoch, but it's not the Enoch. It's it's not the same Enoch that encounters the Watchers, or is it? That that's that that's another whole question that scholars debate. But uh, he has um, supposedly the son Enoch the Evil that he's called in some circles, and Enoch wanted to be just like him. And he taught Enoch everything he he knew, which I don't know if that includes being a vampire, but Enoch built all kinds of cities, which has a Freemason tie-in, because Freemasons are builders. So um, the whole entire beginning of time uh, really goes off in lots of different directions when you start getting into these ancient texts that didn't make the Bible. And, okay, we can go with Cain being the first Nephilim. Okay, uh, that's an interesting theory. You do present what some people, you know, biblical scholars have said, you know, if uh Satan and Eve or Satan tempted Eve um you know maybe maybe he would be the first nephilim uh, you know that's uh very interest interesting and you know as we go later through the bible uh, well in genesis uh that is clearly defined uh you know, that's not as ambiguous as um, Satan and Eve having a child. But um, later on in the Bible, you know, we do get Goliath and his family is uh, said to be giants with six fingers on each hand. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. And and, and, and that's not just a, a one-time mention. These giants are presented uh, in, in, you know, are, are mentioned several times in, what, I think, numbers as well. So, uh, there, there is this yes. specific group of people uh, mentioned several times in the Old Testament. Yeah, 
that um, it, it's it's kind of interesting because we've got um, we've got uh, would be well like Cain for example might be the first Nephilim, but he certainly wasn't the last. And something was going on, uh, you know. Again, uh, go back to Enoch and um, his um, discussions with the Watchers. The Watchers were either kicked out of heaven or they were sent to heaven to watch over humans. We're really not sure. We got two accounts of that. There's about 200 of them who um, descended on Mount Hermon, and they lusted after after uh, human women. Or at least we're told that at the beginning. So they had um, they. They had sex with these women. They somehow changed into human men and had sex with these women, got them pregnant, and uh, had these Nephilim children. And um, they were anywhere from 9 feet to 40 feet, uh, depending on uh, what a cubit. There's, you know, discussions on how long a cubit was. So they're a minimum of nine feet tall, a maximum of forty feet tall, and they're they're uh, roaming. They're they're kind of taking over uh, the earth. And what does God do about it? God doesn't want that, and uh, he he uh, gets with Noah and Noah's wife and Noah's three sons and their three wives, and says, "I'm going to flood the whole earth, and you ate." are going to survive and you're going to build the boat. And we all know, know that story and a lot, but whenever you go to church, you're never told this story. You're, you're told about the ark and you're told that Noah was the only decent one left. He had a pure heart and uh, you know, he was a good guy and he's the only one that believed in God. Well, that maybe that's true, but the Bible isn't being a hundred percent, telling you the whole entire story because there's much more to the story. So we have this huge flood. So in theory, we've got Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives left, right? Well, no, like you just were talking about, where did Goliath come from? If God destroyed the earth and he destroyed all the Nephilim on the earth, then how do we get post-flood, how do we get Goliath? How do we get um, Goliath's brother, who's also mentioned in the Bible? Um, how do we get, there's there's other um, Nephilim mentioned in the Bible. Um, uh, I think well, there's that other quote that um, we, we look like grasshoppers to them. Um, we've got all kinds no. of Nephilim coming back. So we're, how do they come back? Which, you know, brings up a lot, a lot, a lot of more questions. It, um, were they destroyed or weren't they? Did they have some place to hide out while the flood was going on? Did um, more get kicked out of heaven and more did the same thing? There's all kinds of, we don't really know, but yeah, we know that they're back. And we also know that they somehow disappear right around um, the reign of Saul and then David. And then we don't hear about them in the Bible anymore after that. So a lot of people think 
that they became kings with king, with kings, kingdoms. We've got the Amalekites, the Rephaimites, the Anakites, uh, even the Hittites. Uh, we've got all kinds of uh, groups of people that end in the I-T-E-S. Well, where did they come from? And um, just to go back to uh, David and Goliath, when he killed Goliath, he knew he was going to kill Goliath, but he picked up five stones instead of one stone. So why did he pick up five stones? He only needed one. So, I mean, this is, I know this is a stretch, but a lot of people think he was expecting more Nephilim to come to this battle scene. And they didn't show up. So the other four he didn't need at that time. Almost like he was on a mission from God to not just carry the messianic line and so we get Jesus, but also to kill these remainder Nephilim that were um, trying to ruin the earth again. And um, the first time the angels felt they lusted after women, and then the second time, Appears that they were, they didn't, it wasn't the women that they were so much interested in as destroying the world and uh, blocking the um, coming of Jesus Christ, starting with David and um, any uh, ancestors after that. Okay, and, and I did find um, that grasshopper passage that's in. Numbers 13, like 32, and they began to disparage the country. They had reconnoitered to the sons of Israel. The country we went to, uh, the country we went to reconnoiter is a country that devours its inhabitants. Every man we saw there was of enormous size. Yes, and we saw giants there the sons of Anak, descendants of the giants. We felt like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So Anakim. Anakim are another breed of giants. Mm-hmm. And, and Anak, Anak actually has ties to um, Esau. Do you remember um, who Esau was in the Bible? Yeah, he was someone's son. Uh, oh, wait, no, I take shape. that back. Not Anak, but Amalek. Excuse me, Amalek, uh, the the Am- Amalekites. Uh, I, I take that back, I'm sorry. but um, uh, 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 That one's escaping my mind at the moment. Well, that's another one of these breeds of Nephilim, and... Um, if we, if you remember, um, Abraham had Isaac, the son, and then Isaac uh-huh. had Jacob and Esau, and uh, he favored Jacob, and Esau uh, kind of got screwed. And then Esau had Eliphaz, and Eliphaz had Amalek, and somehow there's a tie-in with the Anakim. Amalek is somehow they're they think he's He's the the father of these new Nephilim. Um, again, there's this is all there's no proof of any of this. This is just um, 
uh, a genealogy from um, I, I, I'll cite Gary Wayne is um, one of them. Um, the He's ta- a good source. Uh, yeah, um, um, the table of oh gosh, I can't remember. It's the the table of table of something. I can't remember, but it's um, a, a, a source for genealogy in the Bible. And um, again, it gets hazy, and a lot of people are putting together what they can based on the information. We don't have all the information. And maybe there's a reason we don't have it. But anyway, that is um, some some of the theories. Um, okay. Since we've been talking about uh, you know, the bloodlines and the sections with uh, – You know, so and so did all this begotting that keeps going back to you know the house of David or Adam. Um, you know your peacocks, pedestals, and prayers. Uh, it also uh, gets into the importance of these bloodlines and um, and well we do you know learn a little bit about the um six fingers does come up and it you cover the the, the six fingers really comes up a lot with the gibberim, and they're somehow connected uh, very tightly with the nephilim and um, uh, a Nimrod. I don't. Uh, he was uh, real famous, and uh, he's a famous character in the Bible, and uh, many people consider him the first antichrist. He um, was said to be a gibberim. Now, I don't know if he had six fingers or not, but he was um, super tall, like Nephilim tall. And he um, is is actually a DC ham who was Noah's, one of Noah's three sons, was his grandfather. So we've got this break off with um, Esau's grandson, Amalek, or Am. Yeah, Amalek, and then we also got a break off with Noah's son Ham, who was also well, who was cursed. Actually, um, he uh, supposedly he looked at his dad when his dad was drunk and naked, and then his dad wanted nothing to do with him in a cave or something. And his descendant, um, his grandson. I mean, that's pretty close. They would have known each other for sure with um, their. Um, their lifespans, uh, his grandson was uh, an Antichrist figure in um, the Middle East. So um, he's the father of Babylonia, and he had people, he demanded people worship him, and um, he had the, to- the Tower of Babel. Um, that was the first attempt at New World Order comes from Nimrod. And um, again, he's a descendant from a very holy ancient family so uh, 
these these heroes of the Bible, their offspring keep messing it up. And you know, since you were like Ham is you know passing on a different gene than you know the other person, you do work in this uh, Andonite gene, and it's a little different than the MT uh, DNA gene that is studied a lot in. uh, you know, modern uh, genetics. So, h- how does th- this these different bloodlines fit into your story? Well, the like Adam and uh, in fact all of the people uh, back then they lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. So. Mm-hmm. If we could somehow get their body and we could study their DNA, maybe with CRISPR, we could edit our own genes. And, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I want to do all this, but I'm, I'm saying that this is an idea. Uh, if you could get hold of uh, a Noah or an Adam or someone who lived for hundreds and hundreds of years and you got their their DNA, what do they got going on that we don't? And with CRISPR, um, we can now edit our our genes. Now, we've got a long way to go, but they're finding uh, more and more with this CRISPR, they've got enzymes that can add a gene. They've got enzymes that can delete a gene. Uh, I mean, who knows what the timeline is, but pretty soon maybe we can eradicate cancer. Maybe we could eradicate MS. Maybe uh, we can, there's so many uh, diseases, or maybe we can live for five, six, seven, eight hundred years, almost like a vampire. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. That's um, immortality has been uh, the driving force for um so many people that these ancient bodies could ha- could hold the key. And, uh, interesting concept. And another um aspect of your book I really liked was um, uh, I don't want to give away too too much but there's um, some of these bloodlines that you you talk about and it, it are being consistent with what's in the Bible because it, there really is a lot of importance get, given to um, someone's legacy. Uh, but there's also some of these 
really odd stories that um, you know, we don't understand today, like uh, Eve was born from Adam's rib. You know, where where did well any... again that that could be a DNA, and then the, we've got mm-hmm. the X chromosome or uh, what men are X chromosome Y chromosome. Okay, well, take the rib, use your CRISPR, right, and get rid of the Y chromosome. Voila. You know, it, it like okay. where where does uh, if Lilith is human, like where where'd she come from, or well, other I, kids from? Uh, Adam and Eve having two sons. I, uh, I mean, I, you, you raise an excellent point, which um, so many people have raised. Uh, where did all? How did we populate the world with, uh, you know, a, a man and a woman, and then their two sons? How, how did? And then, okay, let's get. We'll, we'll throw Lilith in there for the heck of it, and then. Okay, so how did we get all of these people? Well, the Bible does not say that Adam and Eve were the only ones. So they said they were the first, but how do we know that God didn't make um, a man and a woman? He made them in uh, Eden. Well, how do we know he didn't make a man and a woman and um, put them in, I don't know, uh, Iraq. How do we know he didn't make a man and a woman and put him in Russia? How do we know, or, or Magog, or Gog, or Magog? How, how do we know he didn't put a man or a woman in um, Gaul or France? And, uh, I, I, you know, on and on. We, we don't know. But the writer, Moses, who they think, they're pretty sure it's Moses, chose to focus on the ones that were in Eden. And again, Moses is only one author. I'm also saying that your characters are going through the same um, transformations. You're being consistent with what's in the Bible. Milton did the same thing. In book two of Paradise Lost, when uh, Satan encounters his daughter Sin on his flight out of Pandemonium to, and she was born out of the left side of his head. A goddess armed out of thy head I sprung. Right. But it, yeah, it's just like all these other uh, biblical uh, authors also uh, what's what, uh, capitalize on these strange birth stories in the Bible. Yeah, they, you're, no, absolutely. And, um, I mean, Milton uh, wrote that in the 1600s. So, mm-hmm. per per um, what we're talking about, he's a modern day writer. So, 
I'm going to guess like 16, that he... 1670s, uh, I think. Well, I don't think he would... I don't think he had access to anything uh, more than than we. Um, he's just basically patching together... For his story, he's just patching together some ancient writings and um, uh-huh. filling in filling in the blanks per per se um what what i'd like to know is um i i've i've said this before but that great library in alexandria what would oh. we if that was still around what would we what would we really know uh that had to have so many answers to all of our questions uh because Little by little, more and more things show up. Um, we got the Dead Sea Scrolls, and who knows what else is out there. But if we had that access to that library, man, we'd have we'd have a lot of unanswered questions answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that had to set humanity back thousands of years. Oh God, yes. Okay, and, okay, since we're talking about um, what was written on some of the scrolls that uh, were burned, um, you did talk about, uh, in, in your book, uh, this um, scroll that Eve and her family... Um, inherit. Um, it, 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 you're saying that 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 was based on a John D. Uh, angel script. Can, can, can you tell us a little bit about that uh, backstory? Uh, absolutely. Uh, John D. and Edward Kelly uh, were. Um, patrons of Queen Elizabeth. And they supposedly, at least that's what they sold her, they they talked to angels through a black mirror and a crystal ball. And they um, came up with an alphabet and um, names of these angels. They had a table and they are held in very high regard among people who practice witchcraft. So you can't have an angel novel without uh, referring to um, Edward Kelly and, and John Dee. Uh, now, they they chose to call it Enochian language because Enoch uh, it famously communicated with the angels who took them up to different levels of heaven and so forth. But the Enochian language is really um, a creation of John D. Okay, so you that part of the book is just consistent with uh, history as well as all the references to scrolls you know probably the most fa- famous is in revelation 
but the, yeah. it, you know, you're very consistent with um, the use of your imagery and since you were just mentioning the um, the black mirror and the crystal ball uh, you do have a couple scenes of uh, you know Ouija board but you know, to combat uh, uh, the, uh, you know, it has a bad influence and the little uh, Bell's uh, doll it, you, know, you do have that balanced with the uh, powers of a halo. Um, I thought that was an interesting uh, juxtaposition of powers. Absolutely. Uh, they they show the halo is kind of an interesting accessory. They've it's shown um, today in Halloween costumes as a like a gold ring. Uh, right over someone's head, but mm-hmm. in um, in artwork hundreds of hundreds of years ago, it was like a humongous gold plate with all kinds of etchings uh, in the plate that was uh, de- right in back of the head. That's the Nimbus. Yeah, then they but they do mention uh, halos. Uh, in the Bible, what they look like, obviously none of us know, but they sound like something very magical, because only angels had them. Well, uh, wasn't the uh, nimbus used to identify saints and paintings? I'm not sure. I I thought I heard... One of the tour guides says something like that. I'll have to look. It's a a halo surrounding a supernatural being or saint. Okay. The the, uh, guy at the... So I'm not uh, sure if it's something that you can physically touch or it's like a light that just forms. Like an aura. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was. Uh, I was glad I had it. In, you know, just made for um, a good supernatural uh, force battling the freaky doll. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I do believe in uh, demonic possession. Uh, I. It's um, I, you know obviously it makes for good horror writing, but uh, I do uh, believe that uh, a demon can somehow jump into either an object or an animal, especially um, maybe a person. 
well, such a person maybe who's not strong-minded, uh, uh, like Exorcist Three with George C. Scott. Uh, one of I think that mm-hmm. was my favorite of all of the Exorcists. I love that one, where the demons were um, in uh, kind of body snatching uh, crazy people in uh, an asylum. I, uh, I I do believe that they can can get in. And, and of course, we're told in uh, the New Testament that Jesus had a lot of people who were possessed by demons and he was casting them out and when he was healing people. I think he had, uh, uh, what, Patrick Ewing was an angel in, in that movie too, wasn't he? Oh, okay. Cool. I think he was an actor. Uh, for uh, for some reason, he, uh, he ended up being an actor in that movie. I... I think it's it's been a long time since I've seen that. But uh, yeah, uh, that yeah, just for for a preview on the show in a couple of weeks with the uh, werewolf. Um, you know, it's going to be. You know, we do get. Uh, we will be talking about some, the uh, influence of a bad character kind of moving into the. Uh, bloodstream of the uh, good guy. Uh, do, do you see a lot of, of other authors, horror authors, getting into themes like that? No, I, I really don't see um, a lot with angels uh however there um i'm told i i have not read uh anything by him but i was told by uh someone that um i should check out frank peretti apparently he writes a lot about angels but hmm. i have never read anything by frank peretti so i'm definitely hoping that um i stand out a little bit because um, just regular vampires, um, my goodness, they are so popular. Mm-hmm. They really are. But I, 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 I yeah, they're, they're, I, they're a fascinating creature for sure. And uh, actually, uh, just a little, um, not to get too off topic, but um, when I was researching vampires, there is actually a vampire... Um, club, so to speak, in Houston. There's um, a real, real place where I, where vampires. I mean, I don't, I didn't know they exist, but I guess people who, who identify themselves as vampires, um, go to socialize. So it's um, here. I got it up right here. Um, Self-proclaimed vampire community house in Houston. Um, it's called the Houston Vampire Court, and they have a council and everything. So <laughs> there are people out there who really believe that they're vampires. And um, on a side note, uh, when I um, many years ago, I had this job for maybe a week tops, and uh, I <laughs> peddled 
perfume door to door and we had to work with a partner. So I had a partner and we'd go to office buildings and we'd have our big old bag of phony perfumes, uh, you know, knockoffs of uh, designer brands. And my partner and I would um, go to lunch uh, together for for the week that I worked there. And I got to know her uh, real well. And she would wear a vial of blood. And I asked her about that. And um, she belonged to a vampire club in Chicago. This was uh, in Chicago in uh, the 90s. So this uh, Houston, Chicago, I'm, I'm going to guess. Lots of other cities, this is a thing. People okay. want to carry out vampire traditions. They uh, believe that if they pretend to be a vampire, that maybe they'll conjure one up. Okay. You know, you know, for a Christmas gift, maybe Blog Talk will reward us for a, a – uh, you know, the great work we've done to build up the station and, and you know, send us to Houston or Chicago to <laughs> research these vampire clubs. You can go undercover, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I know, worth the that might be able to make some fangs for me. <laughs> okay. So, so um, it's, and speaking of road trips, uh, uh, you know, some of your characters uh, are set in scenes in uh, Florence, Italy. Absolutely. What, when, yeah. What? Yeah. What's the setting there? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, what? One of the you know, there's the the American church, and you know, it started in. Uh, Iraq, you get the Florence branch. I, okay, it's kind of like a kind of approaching a global type uh, church, and you know, your crowns and cabals uh, get, gets into you know, new world order and globalism. You know, uh, we'll probably talk about that uh, before the end of the show as well, but. Um, you know, what, what does this uh, the the Florentine setting uh, have to do with the, this you know, kind of the worldwide church? Well, uh, Florence, I, I I know I know you've been there. I've I've never been there. Mm-hmm. It is on my oh, top five places to go bucket list uh, of all time. It looks uh, just amazing. It's packed with history. And, um, of course, uh, Dante, which mm-hmm. um, was the main there's reason. A Dante, yeah, there's a Dante House Museum in Florence. It was closed when I was there, uh, so I, I didn't get to tour that. But uh, yeah, there, there is one there. See, that's that is churches. exactly yeah it's uh it's uh just it, it sounds like a dream vacation you must have had a wonderful time mm-hmm. yeah it really did and got to 
uh, see the uh, Santa Maria Novella Church where, and that's the opening of uh, the Decameron and Santa Croce. I think that's the one uh, with um, Galileo's tomb and, and you know, the Duomo that you know, Hannibal Lecter also mentions. So there's uh, a lot of, yeah. So you know, we aside from Rome, I think Florence probably has a lot of uh, some of the most prominent uh, Catholic churches. Venice would probably be Venice and Paris might be a couple of the other cities, but you know, was Florence uh, something that you? Thought would that I I guess uh, I probably probably mainly because of uh, Dante, but uh, like you said, it's um, a very Catholic, very beautiful churches. Um, All of that uh, biblical type of setting um, Mm -hmm. was what I was going for. Okay, yeah, yeah, you did a nice job on that. Well, thank you. I, I I never been there. It was just you know just research and uh, and of course pictures and uh, maybe one day I I will get to go. I hope so. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not that big. If you you can put me in one of your suitcases or something like that. <laughs> you could be my tour guide. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just I don't speak. Italian very well and talk with my hands, but uh, you know, <laughs> I can eat a lot of p- pasta, but um, you know, I hope you get there. It's it's a lot of uh, information to pack into you know, the week that you may want to stay there. There aren't Definitely. a whole lot of places where, where you could be there for an entire week and and never get um and, and always have something new to do yeah um we'll get your money's worth you, oh you yeah you you definitely would uh get get your money's worth um and yeah you, know, you get the uh, the Fizi Museum and some of the little uh, hill towns in, in the area, and it's um, you know with the evil in a concealed building amongst you know such, such beautiful countryside, and, and it's an interesting contrast. That you portray. Actually, what? But um, you know, one as we we're just getting underway talking about your book. 
um, we mentioned that uh, Eve was just getting out, out of jail. Uh, she had a drug problem. You know, read the passage about uh, uh, Father Sardinelli. Um, you know, e- even Marcus. Um, expressed uh, his interest in redemption. So, you know, he, most of, uh, almost all the uh, characters in your book are regretting their involvement um, with the dark side. Um you know what you know whatever it is for them um well, i i think um i think that's uh you know most most of us we all we all have regrets and um whether it's you know doing something you're not supposed to do uh getting addicted to drugs whatever your your vice is whatever your fall is uh that's um as a christian uh to me it is um if you're if you're truly sorry and you um you know pray for forgiveness you don't have to um you don't have to live like that i i guess is my my takeaway with that um i you know certainly know a lot of people oh, oh go on sir no, I was just going to say, it, it, you know, I think you developed those points really well about um, the characters ha- having some kind of um, penance, uh, wanting redemption, and it's all kind of uh jumbled in there together same ideas kind of all jumbled in there together uh you know with what they w- w- the regrets that they have um do, are are there do, do you find that there are ways out of these uh dire circumstances oh absolutely uh it doesn't uh i i think and i, I think jesus uh, in the new testament is very clear on that um a lot of people uh don't kind of get mad about it um like oh well if you're a, a serial murderer and you're jeffrey dahmer and like jeffrey dahmer for example um killed i don't know dozens of people um and then pro- was in jail for life and professed to be a christian and wanted forgiveness well a lot of people thought that was a bunch of baloney and maybe it was i i I mean who knows but he ended up getting murdered in jail anyway but if he in in theory if you read the bible he was murdered in jail and he publicly um was sorry he publicly claimed to be a christian if he was sincere about that, and this is where a lot of people will get mad. 
he would technically go to heaven. And a lot of people are like, well, that's not fair. And, and I, I get it. It's, it's, you know, not fair. But if he was 100% sincere about what he did, and he wasn't just saying that to get some time shaved off his sentence like so many prisoners do, mm-hmm. well, even Jeffrey Dahmer it, uh, could make his way through those pearly gates. So that's what's so fascinating uh, about the Bible. Uh, I know one of my favorite stories is the uh, prodigal son. And, um, you know, the the rich man has two sons, and, and one dutifully does everything for his father, and he works hard, and um, the father decides to give both of the sons, and, and one's a idiot, kind of a spendthrift, a drunk, all of that. And the father gives uh, his fortune away to both of them. And the one son takes that money and invests it and does right by his dad. And the other son, well, I think, goes to Gaul or France and blows it all. Mm-hmm. And um, then he comes back. And, oh, he's so sorry. And and the dad just welcomes him back open arms, even though he lost all the money. And, and the brother is just like, whoa, <laughs> this is a bunch of you-know-what. And um, that story just kind of always, like, stuck with me because I think in a sense we're all the prodigal son. We've all done really stupid stuff. We've all wasted our resources, and if we're sorry about it, it's okay. And uh, even the brother, even though the brother's mad because he thought in his mind he did everything right, well, he didn't love his brother as much as he should. So I guess that was my takeaway from the story. It's a fascinating story. And the uh, prodigal son also... um... Got just screwed up without Andal's advertising uh, <laughs> camp campaign, but uh, no, I, but I I get your point that it um it is a story where you can draw a lot of lessons. And, you know the duality of the the sons. That's a fascinating topic in itself. Yeah. And you know, you know, the prodigal son story is a uh, um, pretty familiar um, uh, story from uh, the Bible. But you know, you're also drawing from um, the the Book of Jubilees, which is one of the apocrypha. Books is it is that right or is it a, mm-hmm. a, yes an okay um what is in the book of Jubilees that interested you how does that tie in with um your uh, Peacock's book Jubilees well um. I, I read it when I wrote when I wrote the book. I read it, 
Um, and there's a tie-in with Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I would, I, um, it's in the Ethiopian Bible. Um, I think Enoch is more, I heavily relied more on Enoch than Jubilees, though. Yeah, is that, and Jubilees goes into more detail about how evil the Nephilim are? I'm I, honestly, I'm not sure. It's been a while. I haven't read it in, I don't know, a couple of years. Okay. And Enoch is also uh, uh, survived as a, a sample of the Ethiopian uh, biblical literature. So I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't um, all, all that familiar with uh, Jubilees, it's, but it, it's interesting that those two books uh, are related to the Ethiopian church. Yeah. Um, I, Enoch especially, uh, I think, is hev- very heavily um, – what we know about angels is um, – most of it, most of it's in Enoch, because he kind of acted mm-hmm. as their lawyer when he, um, you know, he he kind of acted like a intermediary or a lawyer, so to speak, and and um, you know tried to help them out and get them back into heaven, and um, he saw the good in them, even though that wasn't really the case, and um, he. Well, Enoch was a holy man. He never even died. He he supposedly just left Earth and went straight to heaven and never experienced death. So, and um, I just lost my train of thought. That was great. Um, With Yeah, you know, the want of the Book of Enoch it, it presents a lot of information about um, you know, the Nephilim. Yeah, you know, we do get uh, a good bit of information about um, angels. Um, you get the. Uh, the Gabriel in the Annunciation scene. Um, what about some of these guardian angels? Uh, uh, did wasn't there a guardian angel that uh, showed up after uh, Jesus's uh, temptation? I kind of gave him a debriefing. The temptation. The temptation. Uh, um... Um, I, I, he, he did. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. He did say something cryptic to him, like um, some. I can't remember exactly what, but something like, "Now that I'm here, it ain't gonna happen for you." Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Um, mm-hmm. he did, but no, I know exactly uh, what what you're talking about. And um, just to piggyback on what, to what you're saying, Jesus also said. Uh, when he was explaining the end of days to his disciples, that it would be like it was in the days of Noah. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, in the days of Noah, we believe that there was a bunch of Nephilim running around. So is that what he means? Does he mean it's going to be evil in oh. other ways? Um, that's how I interpreted it, but um, I guess you could just, maybe he just means evil in general. I'm thinking more specific, like we're going to have more Nephilim. Um, I'm not, you know, again, um, the way the, the way, um, the Bible was translated, uh, was very, very cryptic, very, um, almost superficial where you don't get direct answers. It's all kind of like glazed over the surface and, uh. Um, maybe that's the intent that uh, people will continue to talk about it forever. So, but um, yeah, he he did have conversations with um, demons, and he did mention that the the days of Noah are going to return. So, all of this is um, leading up to something, and I think that if you ask your average Christian. A lot of people think that uh, the tribulation has started. Um, if the Nephilim and their evil ways aren't uh, going to uh, go away, um, um you know man it could ex- expedite the um uh, tri- tribulation i'll i'll admit a uh a a rant i i i thought about doing about a diminutive doctor but uh, i won't get into that because <laughs> so i don't want this should should be pulled down off of youtube <laughs> But does that uh, lead to um, some of your Georgia Guidestones and uh, Agenda 21, you know, the pharmaceutical and ag conglomerations? um, Oh, all of it. Uh, UN Agenda 21 was written – what, in the 90s for the 21st century? 21 is the 21st mm-hmm. century. And um, it, it here we are, 2021, and you listen to some of these politicians, um, especially, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name names, uh, Alexandria Cortez or, or wait, Alexandria Ocasio. Yeah, a, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you listen to her. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, there is not one original thing out of her mouth. It's like she is reading from the sustainability agenda in the UN every time she opens her mouth, which leads me to believe, who's paying you? Who's paying you? Because this is not, she didn't come up with any of these ideas. They were written in the UN. The UN wants a a one world government. 
with uh, different – the sustainability goals are, are all about distributing wealth, are all about getting rid of private property, are, are uh, all about population control and education control and control and control and control. And everything out of her mouth reads exactly like the UN. And uh, you can only – if you really listen to her, she is especially telling – Somebody's paying her to be a mouthpiece for the UN, and somebody got her elected to do the UN one world government bidding. And, um, you know, I've got my suspicions, but um, we're talking about end of days. Well, like like Nimrod in the Tower of Babel, um, he tried to get a one world government going. Well, that's what we're where we're at right now. We're we're in um, the process of trying to form a one-world government. And, um, again, uh, seven leaders, ten regions, uh, that's, uh, you know, the crown the crown and, like the and ten, all of that. Yeah, the ten and, seven heads of the yeah. beast or whatever and, and ten horns or something. Yep, that's exactly what I – the same reference I was uh, exactly thinking – and um, you know, I, I, I mean, this is a you know little soapbox thing. In order to be a one-world government, you have to have a one-world money. Well, I'm watching TV, and there's all these crypto commercials for crying out. We're talking about advertising. Who do they bring in to advertise cryptocurrency? But the beloved Matt Damon. Uh, you know, Matt Damon's got a, a pretty good reputation. He's been married to the same woman. He's not in the tabloids for being a drunk and all the rest of it. He's got a pretty good reputation as far as Hollywood goes, and they bring him in because he's trustworthy. And he's the spokesperson now for CryptoCoin. Well, why is he pushing CryptoCoin? And, and, here, and Mark, here's another one. Why does the United States want to get rid of the dollar? Doesn't that kind of ruin their power base? So yeah, why are we suspicious. why are we promoting crypto when the U, the U.S. has more power if we stick to the U.S. dollar for trade? Just a lot of questions here, almost like it's sabotage because we don't want the power. We want to get rid of it because we're going to be divvying ourselves up into ten regions pretty soon. Are the conspiracy theorists that um, you know really made a name for themselves after nine eleven? You know how, how did the uh, was it World Trade Center uh, fall? When only two planes hit the two towers, you know, and you know, there, there's so many other people who can you know, explain that whole 9/11 oh, right. scenario so much better than I can. But, but all the people who were, uh, it, 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 you know, labeled as conspiracy theorists twenty years ago. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would call them. They were uh, factual. 
then. Right. Profits. Yeah. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was so many, so many things that didn't match up and, um, we didn't have all the social media we had uh, back then. We didn't have all the social media that we have now. Can you imagine if uh, that happened today and the government wanted to sell one story and then you started posting on Facebook another story? Oh my gosh! I mean, back then you 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 could have Charlie Sheen, you know, shooting his mouth off, saying, "Oh yeah, the government did it." You you could get away with all that. Now you couldn't. The government wanted to sell a certain story, and you weren't on that that um, mindset. You'd get banned. Yeah, there's all those. Uh, you know, if you just look back 20 years ago, yeah, you know, there's that uh, one uh, reporter talking about. Oh, hey, yeah, oh. Uh, you know, the North Tower just fell, and it's still standing, and then all of a sudden it falls. You know, it's like she, she's reading from a script, and she was just a little bit ahead of her, you know, a little bit ahead of uh, when everything was supposed to be coordinated. Right. You know, you know people were uh, you know, picked up on that pretty fast, and, you know, with um, – a lot of other things that have been going on for the last 18 months. So many people are uh, really picking up on this. There, this, there's, there's no theory. Uh, it, it, here, it, it's all right there in front of us. Right. Yeah. It's it's in it's in our face. It's I mean. They're they're doing concerts for Satan now. In it's in our face, as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. In our face every day of the week, and uh, it's almost like Satan and his minions are giving us the finger and saying, "Yeah, yeah it's how, happening." How do we uh, give them the finger back? What well, are some a, I mean, strategies? I, you know, that's a great question because it's written that it's going to happen. And in our book, Jesus wins. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there's another book floating around with a different ending. And certain people, maybe they're called the Illuminati, uh, <laughs> uh, have a different tale a different spin, a different um, resolution to the story. Um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there is another book floating around, another ancient text that certain people have access to, and they're being told that they're going to win. So let the games begin. I, I, I believe that we're going to win regardless, but we can't stop it. It's going to happen no matter what we do. Uh, All we can do is, you know, keep our eyes peeled, try not to get hooked up in that mark of the beast, Um, hopefully try to avoid getting that, and, um, you know, 
keep your nose yeah. clean and and pray pray to the one and only God that you're spared. Yeah, the, it, um, yeah. The book of the Enoch was lost for what fifteen hundred years or something like that. Yeah, they they had co- they um, had uh, copies, but they didn't have the original text. They knew about it. Yeah, but the, yeah. Yeah, it, it was like you know a few people you know what uh, finally became republished in you know what 18th century or something like that after it was, it was actually translated in, by a Freemason. Is that kind of weird? Yeah, and. It seems like you know a few people made references to it. I you know, just say in the 14th century, you know, uh, but it, it seems like it it link people knew about it mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was still around. Um, and it, you know, like I said, people referenced it, but um, it, you know, what you're talking about with this supposed, um, you know, you know, there could be another, uh, you know, Book of Revelation Part Two or something like that, um, that might still be out there. Uh, do, do, do you think there might be some kind of secret library somewhere and um, some organization that has this um, secret knowledge uh, that you know they might be working from to uh, you know maybe uh, de- defeat the NWO? New World Order, yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly think uh, all of these um, secret societies, like the Illuminati, the Club of Rome, uh, the Rosicrucians, um, of course the Freemasons, um, all of them, they have um, they have access to something that we don't have. They have uh, some kind of knowledge, some kind of ancient writing that we don't have. And, um, you know, maybe a different version of the Bible with a different ending, and that's what they're banking on. Or maybe they already made a pact that they can't go back with. Or maybe they made a deal with the devil, and there's no, there is no, after, when you, if you make a deal with the devil, all of that, uh, forgiveness, all of that goes out the window. Yep. But yeah, I definitely do. I do believe that we have an inner circle in the world, not just this country, but in the world. And there's different chapters all over the world. Um, I, I And sometimes they even have a global meeting like Davos, for example, and um, discuss their regional progress on creating a one-world government. 
it, it, Ephesians, it talks about, um, you know, we are fighting the principalities of the air and uh, you know, put on God's armor. Is, does that seem like, like it's quaint and, you know, it, it worked Absolutely. at one time, or uh, do, you know, do, do, do you think it, it, that is still relevant today? Absolutely. Uh, it's um, Put on God, God's armor is uh, guard yourself with his word. I, I truly believe that. And um, I guess as, as Americans, we're still lucky. We can uh, go to church and uh, not worry about you know, getting executed. So at this moment in history, um, we're lucky. But um, I have seen, I've seen in Illinois, I've I've seen here in Texas where I I currently live, they are having, they're getting more and more uh, global churches where you see a church and there's like, it looks like the UN, there's like 30 different national flags out in front of the church. I don't know if they have any by you. Uh, no. but I've seen uh, quite a few of them already, and it's like they're infusing a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, a little bit of that. Like, so they're it's already in the works of a like a a one world religion. So maybe our our time as public Christians is coming to an end. Maybe we'll have to go underground. Okay. Well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time and the church e- e- emerged uh, stronger uh, from com- coming out of the uh, meeting people's basements in Rome. That's so true. We're, we're, you know, we're... Yeah, there's about seven minutes left. What... Uh, what what are you working on next? Well, I'd like to do a sequel, and um, that's you know where my um, big plans. And um, uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. there, 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 yeah, you do leave the door open for a sequel. For, that for is Peacock. definitely definitely my plan, and. Um, you know, I'm uh, definitely enjoying enjoying uh, my writing. It is um, it, it's um, to me the most fun thing about it is the research. That's um, maybe that's kind of weird, <laughs> but that's uh, I think for me that's what makes it really fun. Okay, cool. Um, where where can people get hold of your books? Well, um, I am on um, some are on some sites, some are on other sites, but everything is on Amazon. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Uh, Dina Ray, D I N A R A E, and I have uh, eight novels and two shorts. Um, I'm 
you can purchase them in ebook or paperback. Uh, I also have a very strong social media presence. I'm on Goodreads. You're um, welcome to check me out on Goodreads. Uh, I um, have a Facebook fan page, Dina Ray Books. I have a Twitter, um, at, at Peacock Pedestal is my handle. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. Um, I know I'm missing some here. Uh, I, oh, I have a, a two blogs, Dina Ray's Write Stuff dot dot com, um, Conspiracy Crackpot dot home, and then um, you, you already mentioned my website, Conspiracy dot com. I have a paperly, um, Freaky Times. Freaky Times slash paper dot li paperly. Um, oh my, I'm probably missing some things, but those are those are the the biggest bigger ones. And um, you know, it's hard to keep up with all the social media, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. It's there's something coming out every other every other month. There's some kind of new thing to sign up for um but i try i'm on reddit too but um i don't go on that too often and uh oh i'm on mewe too i just joined mewe somebody told me to join mewe okay look for you in all those places and uh you know, still have a few more minutes left and it, you know, what about some of the uh, ancient astronaut theorists who say the Nephilim were really just ETs? Uh, that does That's, um, make a lot of sense, it, but you know, also kind of get into, uh, or would they be different species of um well, there's that whole, um, like, Zachariah Stitchin, of, of course, uh, mm-hmm. got the whole Planet thing rolling. 12. Uh, yep. And uh, he uh, talks about the Anunnaki and the Sumerian tablets with Anki and Enlil. And um, there's even a, an Atlantis tie-in to all of this. And uh, Plato, of course, cross-referenced cross-reference Atlantis as well and that and that's another um country or nation that disappeared from the flood which is you know all all of these stories kind of um kind of start crossing with each other um mm-hmm. the Sumerian I, yeah, tablets yeah, I was just going to say, that's what's just really fascinating about this is no matter what Nephilim or you want to go with ETs, it's all documented there. It it just seems like we're using different terms for maybe the same events and people. It, 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 It really is a fascinating subject. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's it's um you start wondering 
are people just calling it different things and it's all one and the same? Uh, but that, the Anunnaki in uh, Atlantis is, of course, uh, you know, a whole other show. Um, Plato fam- famously uh, wrote that dialogue with uh, Cretus and uh, Timaeus about Atlantis. Atlantis. And, uh, mm-hmm. and um, most people, I mean, they, a lot of, pe- a lot of uh, people will say, oh, that's just fiction. Well, Plato didn't write fiction, so why did he write that then? He wasn't a fiction right. novelist by any stretch of the imagination. He was a philosopher. So why did he write this? It was and it was written um, in the style of him being a historian, like he's documenting it seems like this it's based, guy. Yeah, it's based on something. Yeah, like um, one of the characters I can't remember which one uh, goes to Egypt and he talks about Atlantis and. Um, it was like Plato. It, it reads like a documentary, or a, like a re, like a, a historical account. Yeah, so, so, uh, Salon. Yes, that's a, that, yes. Okay. Yeah. How, how about uh, we talk talk about Salon on the next time? And I just want to thank you, Dina, for being a guest. We're almost out of time. Happy Thanksgiving if I don't talk to you before then. So uh, we will see you. uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you.